1: Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, we have a lovely guest that actually is somebody that I always say this about people, Danae knows this is like the way that I describe, like, there's the people that I want to go have a beer with. (laughs) That's like the way that I always describe, like, I want to go have a
0: beer with this person. (laughs) And Amy is one of those people. (laughs) I'm laughing because I don't drink and because I'm like, I don't think that at all. I'm just like, I have a big crush on her now. I'm kind of obsessed with her and I love her. But it's like,
1: you know, as the extrovert, there are certain people that I would actually want to go and sit somewhere and talk to them for hours. over a beer. And so that's like my, my category.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I understand. Yes, she's one of those. She absolutely is one of those. She is just like such a wealth, like actually pause the podcast right now and make sure you have a notebook and a pen mm-hmm. for this one, because she is such a wealth of knowledge and tangible tools. I was taking notes as we were talking to her. Um, I just, I really, really think she's such a valuable gift. I, I love her. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And and what's
1: funny is that as we have these conversations, I mean, for those of you who have been listening with us for a long time, you know, um, I'm sure you've kind of seen how we've evolved over the, I guess, year and a half now or so that we've been doing this. And there's always people like this who push us into the realm of like a realization around how to continue to make the podcast better. And mm. one of the things that Danae and I were just talking about because Amy did such a good job at this is we need to make sure moving forward that these this level of tangibility comes across with all of our guests. I mean, look, some people are gonna be better at other, than others at it, but um, because Danae and I were taking notes and we were jazzed up while the conversation was going on, it, it's like a realization of, oh shit, this was powerful. Um, yeah. And other people will find it powerful too.
0: Yeah, I think it always comes back to us, and we talk about like how do we best be of service in the way right. that we do. And it feels like offering, you know, content that is really, really useful. I mean, if it's useful to us, certainly it's useful right. to everyone. So that feels like a really important um, value of ours moving forward.
1: Yeah, agreed. And we just know that you are all going to take away so much from Amy, the joy junkie. Uh, so enjoy. Mm-hmm.
0: We are so excited for today's guest. Amy E. Smith is a certified life coach and hypnotherapist. As founder of thejoyjunkie.com, Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. She focuses on helping people let go of the need to please others and what it truly means to stand up for themselves, have tough conversations, establish boundaries, and learn to say, no, this is so in our wheelhouse. All the things. You're here. Thank you for (laughs) being here.
1: Yay. I'm already just madly in love with both of you, so I can't (laughs) wait to talk. Oh, we love it. Yeah. So we usually start by asking, you know, what has been your journey up until this point, like what was your trajectory that got you to where you're sitting right now? You know, it sounds like you had a really interesting upbringing, um, you know, some some interesting, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Interesting progression through or work around your religious upbringing or familial stuff. So just just give us the deets. What's, what's your background?
2: Well, no, I think I've always just been this evolved. Haven't? I- <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: podcast done. That's all we need to
2: hear. <laughs> and fade to black. Uh, So I had a very interesting upbringing. I grew up in a very conservative, born-again Christian family. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry, so he was very much not fucking around. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that not everybody has as much dogma as the Christian faith that I grew up in but there was an abundance of motivation from guilt and fear Mm -hmm. and the essence, the message is you are uniquely damaged and flawed and you need saving Mm -hmm. you. So the whole message is you're not enough layered with lots of purity culture and anti-feminist sentiment to, to say the very least. But I was always a very intuitive outspoken, gregarious child and felt very hampered by that upbringing. Mm -hmm. But as we do i felt like i needed to kind of twist and contort and put up this veneer and and in order to be worthy kind of check off all the the good girl boxes mm-hmm. so i i ended up moving out fairly young and got married when i was 20 to my absolute soulmate who i'm still with we're celebrating 24 years together next month wow. and for a long time, I would whenever we would go back to my parents' house, I would kind of prep him. Hey, no talking about gay rights, no drinking, no swearing, no Jon Stewart, no Howard Stern, no <laughs> South Park, like like all our liberal agenda, like shut it down. And so we we kind of had to shape shift in order to, you know, be around them. And for a bit of context too, I was by all accounts, the good kid. My two younger siblings had massive issues with the law and jail time, didn't go to school, trouble with working, dependency on my parents. So I felt like I was kind of winning at daughter in many ways. And it all kind of came to a head in 07 when my father passed away. And although we had very different belief systems. I was definitely a daddy's girl and we had such an incredibly rich uh connection. So, prior to doing personal development, I was a makeup artist. So, mm-hmm. I wanted to do his makeup for his viewing. So, we've now reached the dead dad portion makeup of the of the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I felt like it would just be an asshole move to be like, "Dad, go get your own makeup artist when I had <laughs> that's this. what you were." <laughs> So I did his makeup for his viewing, and then I spoke to the crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people. He had quite an impact in his life. And of course, there's all these laying on of hands and, you know, lots of stuff that mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to. We get back home to my, my mom's house, and again, feeling like checked off all the great great daughter boxes get back home to my mom's house. And she finds it the most opportune time to say, it feels as though your father and I have failed as parents because the three of you are not walking with the Lord. Hmm. And I was like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was, I don't think you should say that to a child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe there's a teaching moment here. And, and she said, well, that's just how I feel. And I'll tell you what, ladies, that was such a distinctive moment for me where I realized that Mm -hmm. speaking up for yourself or establishing boundaries does not always mean an ultimatum. It does Mm -hmm. not always mean I need to either choose you or choose me. But if push comes to shove and I do need to make that decision, I'm going to choose me. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And that began this trajectory of of me genuinely finding my voice, which is now sort of the work that I do in the world, helping people do the internal piece of genuinely believing in their own value, their own worthiness as a human. And then the external component of how do I now communicate that with the outside world? What do tough conversations look like? Boundaries, saying no, speaking up. But I'll tell you what, when I opened those floodgates, shit got crazy. Mm -hmm. I was combative. I was adversarial. It was like, everything came out and I was like, oh yeah, let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about the, I wanted to talk, I almost Mm -hmm. wanted, I wanted to inflict the pain a little bit that I was reckoning with. Mm. So it was only when I realized after cleaning up my delivery, not Mm. necessarily the content, Mm. but cleaning up my delivery, I realized, oh, there's a way to speak up for yourself and not be an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge distinction because we, a lot of times we'll have sort of this speaking up hangover where when somebody else is unhappy with us or they don't like what we had to say, our instinct, especially if, if you tend towards people pleasing is to take it all back and to say, I need you to be okay with me at all costs. So let me take it all back. But what I would do with my mom is I would circle back and say, Hey, listen, I still feel very strongly about what it is that I shared with you. However, the way that I delivered it wasn't fair and you don't deserve to be spoken to in that way. And if I want this respect, then I need to embody that as well for you. And, and That was not easy being Mm. the the kind of spitfire that I am. And, but it has very much informed the work and sort of the, the mentorship that I do now.
0: Oh, Amy, there is so many things in what you just said that um, I just felt like so viscerally in my body as you were speaking. You know, there's so much about Vanessa and I do a lot of work, um, especially with women, but like just in general around self-abandonment and sort of like how we reclaim ourselves. And there's so much in what you were speaking to and like the adult relationships we have with our parents, right, and how much we can sort of, feel like we've done a lot of um, growth and evolution and then go back home to our parents and be in the space of like deep self abandonment again, right, like um, there was just something like I felt as you were speaking to like the way that sometimes like our parents will speak to us and we know that like to make it better, to make it okay, we're not saying the thing that is the truth of what's happening here. I just felt that so deeply. And I wonder if you could maybe give us a little bit of like some of the examples you use for people with like how to attack these moments where it's like, I know that there's something I need to say to stay with myself, to speak up for myself, but I wanna do it in a tactful way. I wanna do it in a way that I don't have to feel that sort of hangover that you're speaking to where I feel like I lost control of myself, but also clear is kind. And I'm going to be clear about the thing that needs to be said.
2: Well, there, there are a handful of components here. One is, it is all around emotional intelligence mm. and that is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Cause so often when we enter into a difficult, difficult conversation, we think this will be successful as long as they approve or as long as they see it my way, or they acquiesce yeah. instead of this will be successful as long as I'm proud of Amy or I'm proud of Danae or I'm proud of Vanessa. And part of that is holding dichotomous emotion where on one hand, you're incredibly bolstered and proud of yourself. You're in your power. And simultaneously, you're devastated. You're Mm -hmm. so saddened that somebody else, that you're not on the same page or maybe you're disappointed or overwhelmed or any other slew of opposing emotions. So that is one thing that I cannot stress enough because I think a lot of times when we go into these difficult conversations and we are disappointed with someone's response, we think it didn't go well.
1: Mm.
2: And that's not necessarily the case. It went well if you have a new barometer of success, if the success marker is I spoke my truth And I did it in a way in which I was proud. So another element that can be really helpful with this is, and we don't always get this luxury, but if you are able to gear up or prepare for the conversation ahead of time, I highly, highly encourage people to do so. Now, there's a handful of things that you can do with this. One is to ask people for the time to talk. Nobody likes to be like, hey, can I just enter all of these grievances right now when maybe you're stressed out with work or you just cleaned your kids puke up or, you know, whatever. So being generous and really getting kind of conversational consent. Do you have time? Is there's a handful of things I'd love to discuss with you. Don't say I, we need to talk, (laughs) but saying something like, hey, there's been some stuff on my mind. I'd really love to get your perspective on or I'd love to toss some things around with you. Just changing that phrasing or semantics can be so much softer, sort of the soft startup. Hmm. And it, and I think then also leading with gratitude, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I, I really appreciate this. And then owning your shit. Even if the owning your shit part is I haven't said anything until now. Mm. So the way that might sound is, hey, listen, there have been some, some things that have been really on my mind that I felt myself starting to build some resentment around some behavior that's been happening. And you would have no idea that that's what's going on. Cause I have not said a damn thing. And that is wildly unfair to you. So first of all, I just want to apologize to you that this conversation is the first you're hearing about fill in the blank. Um, I own that, that's on me, right? So we know that if we enter into conversations vulnerably, we are far more likely to elicit vulnerability from the other person, Mm -hmm. right? Thank you, Our Lady Brené. So (laughs) if, if, if you're out driving along, right? And you accidentally cut somebody off, and they're like, fuck, yeah, mother, fuck you, motherfucker. Know? Your instinct is to mimic that, right? We go immediately fight, flight, freeze. We go either combative, like, you know, or we're ah, so sorry, so sorry. Right? So if we know that we naturally will mimic, we have those mirror neurons in the brain, we're naturally going to mimic other people's emotional responses. That is one thing that we can do to set ourselves up for A very productive conversation. Is it a hundred percent? No, because we cannot control that other person. We we have no idea if they're going to rise to the occasion, but it is something that we can do to at least set ourselves up for success. So I had a situation once where I, I did this exact thing with my mom and, you know, I was very gentle and I said, Hey, I can't even remember what it was about. But it was exactly what I was talking about earlier where I said, I still feel very strongly, but it was really unacceptable the way I spoke to you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to say, I'm genuinely, truly sorry for that delivery. And she looked at me and just said, have you talked to your brother today? Like, couldn't be with it. Like, couldn't, just gone. And, but I was able to walk away from that engagement going, you know what? My side of the road is clean. I said what I needed to say, I'm good. Now, part of that gearing up process can also be uh, like a future tripping where, let's say, if you're having a conversation with somebody on a Friday night, journaling around or asking yourself, how do I want to feel about the person I am when I wake up on Saturday morning? Not Mm -hmm. how do I want them to respond? What do I need them to do? But rather, who do I want to be in that exchange that's usually what will get us to that more peaceful place afterwards. And then, you know, one of the other basic skills is to think about, I kind of put them in three columns where you put in the first column, here are the things that I want to express and that that I want to share. The middle column are the bevy of ways that they could respond. They might they might do what my mom did where she just completely ignored, or maybe it's, they're also empathetic or they're emotional and they start breaking down. They go into a victim place. They're acerbic and biting and, and want to blame that just the myriad of different ways that they could respond. And then in the final column, how do you want to respond to each of those? Mm. So to me, if it ever gets vitriolic and loud and name calling, I shut that shit down right there. I'm not going to engage in abuse. Yeah. So, you know, so that's one very easy one to navigate, but that way you don't get into this situation where you're like, Oh my God, what do I say? What uh, uh, caught off guard? It's, it's sort of that, that preparation that gives you so much power.
1: I have myself muted because my gardeners decided to show up an hour earlier on a day that I have a podcast recording. So for all the listeners, you get to hear it in the background. Um, that's so huge. I Amy. Mean, I want to call out a few things that really just like landed with me i always tell clients or people that i'm teaching or coaching i always say no shame in my game i have been known to bring in notes to hard conversations and i'm gonna be like listen i've got my three bullets you gotta let me read these because if i don't i'll go off script Shit will get emotional i'll get overwhelmed i'll lose my train of thought um and so i always tell people like no shame you know if you need to like write it out fine don't bring a necessarily like a like a script in but bring in the key points that you know that you want to make sure that you you make and so i think it's great that you speak to giving people like that's empowering to me anyway that feels empowering like bring that in with you it's okay to to ahead of time walk through what is that conversation but the part that i love so much that you just said that i've actually never really brought into uh, my work with clients is also thinking through how you might respond to each of those potential ways of responding, right? Because we know there, like you said, there's like three or four very specific ways that's probably going to go. And are you prepared? Is a really good question to ask. And I think it'll give you actually more um, courage to actually speak up. True, completely.
2: And with regards to the notes, That is something that I, I tell clients and students to do all the time as well. And the very easy preface, if you're feeling nerdy or weird about it is just to say, Hey, I know this might be a little odd that I wrote, wrote stuff down, but I really wanted to get this right. Mm. Or you really mean the world to me. And I, I know my tendency is to go off script or, and I really wanted to say things in the way that you deserve to hear them in a kind manner. So there's almost everything that you say or do, there's a soft way to express it. However, what I will say is most of it requires vulnerability. Mm. And that is, is risky. It's scary for all of us. But what I'll say, and I think the two of you can probably attest to this even in your own relationship, is when you have surmounted something, even if it is extremely painful, if it is cloaked in vulnerability, the amount of intimacy that you get to experience in that relationship is, is unparalleled, right? So, so keep that in mind too, especially if it's a collaborative relationship, like you know, a marriage or uh, best friends or business partners, things like that. The way that I talk about boundaries or a step, stepping up for yourself uh, with people you are not close to Mm -hmm. that's a very different dynamic Mm -hmm. and but there still can absolutely be elements of of vulnerability that can be helpful
1: and at the same time there are always going to be people whether they're in your closest circle or not that are going to respond with the anger and the blame and the not acceptance and the turning it around and I think another thing that you said that's really important and this is something that look we go into survival mode we know that attachment is going to trump authenticity almost any time, right? Unless we're very yes. truly committed to doing the work of being authentic and, and not self-abandoning. Um, and no matter what, you can't control. So that person, I'm thinking of somebody in particular, very, very personal. It's like, it was a best friend and I did all the things and I owned my part and I should have said something and all of this stuff. And it basically was the response that I, I kind of expected it to be, which was the turning around, the blaming, the shaming, and then the disappearing. Right, And so it doesn't make that any easier, but what is easier is being able to sit with myself and say, I still, years later, don't question or doubt what I said, how I said it, you know, what I needed to communicate. Um, I still feel it was important, I stand by it. Uh, and so that is what helps me sleep at night even though this person is no longer in my life. And
2: I think there's such a great point here to kind of even circle back to the emotional intelligence pieces. It doesn't mean that you're void of grieving, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't right. mean that you're not going to be so saddened, right? That's yep. again, that dichotomous element of I'm proud of myself and I'm self-assured and I'm deeply saddened. I'm grieving mm-hmm. that we weren't able to collaborate at this particular point. And I've, I've had friendships very similar to that. So I think Being able to recognize this situation sucks,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: but I don't suck because so often people will take uh, uncomfortable emotion like sadness or grief, and then they collapse it into meaning this must mean I'm a shit friend, Mm -hmm. I'm not valuable, I'm not enough, instead of just going okay no that's just messaging. Emotions are just messaging. They're hyperbolic and dramatic as fuck though. Mm -hmm. So when we're sad, we're like, depths of despair. I'll never work in this town again. I'll never have a (laughs) friend again, you know? And it it really, all we have to look at that as is messaging the same way we look at physical pain, right? Mm -hmm. You have an issue in your foot or in your knee you don't go like, oh, I must be the worst human ever. You go, oh, what's that knee? Okay, let's change our exercise or we need to pay attention. It's just a symbol. It's, just, it's to clue you in, to guide you. So I think I cannot stress enough about, about the role of emotional intelligence because I think a lot of times people think, just tell me what to say so that everyone will like me, yeah, so that all my conversations <laughs> don't will work that magically way. go well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think there's so much um, attempting to self-soothe or self-regulate we do through someone else's experience Mm -hmm. of me, of what I've said. And I love how you speak to, you know, even when you were giving the example of your mom sort of like shutting down, changing the subject to your brother, I think that is so often the experience we have. And Um, it is so deeply painful in that moment. Like you both are speaking to, but I think when we sort of turn it around is like everything is my internal work to unpack what this is bringing up for me. I love how you speak to like keeping my side of the street clean. And like, that is all I ever have any control of. Someone else is going to be where they are in their journey, you know, like with what they are able to process and the way that they're able to process it. It's actually not my work, right? Like they may be so armored up against hearing what I've said, or, you know, even if they hear it, allowing me to see that they've heard what I've said, but what is this um, here to teach me? What in this moment am I supposed to take away from this interaction? I think is the only thing we're ever in control of. So I love that you really bring that in, in these tangible steps that you're giving people. And I love that this is an episode where I know everyone's going to be like, going back to get the notepad, let me go back to write <laughs> down everything you said, but so helpful.
2: I, thank you for saying that. I. I really appreciate that, uh, and I and I also do want to say another sort of a caveat about vulnerability that I think is really important. Have y'all checked out or read the book "You Are Your Best Thing"? With mm. uh, it's Brené and Toronto book Burke put together a compilation of essays by Black women mm. and, or actually Black persons. It's a it's really really incredible, but she does talk about vulnerability as it relates to our lived experiences Mm. and how certain persons of color vulnerability is wildly unsafe. And I don't pretend to be able to speak to that at all as a blaringly white woman. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's really important to note that depending on who is out there and who is listening, I recognize that vulnerability is tough for everybody and then based off of your lived experiences or different types of marginalized communities that you might be a part of, that is like an unbelievable level of danger. So in, so I, I want to say that so I don't I don't want to be flippantly like vulnerability magically makes everything better, right? I don't necessarily think that it's about saying that anything is right or wrong, but just recognizing that it's a different path.
0: So um, yeah, it's so helpful even to me now, because I, I feel like sometimes I forget that as a woman of color, when I'm speaking to my mother about the perspective that is a very privileged perspective that I hold in the world, even as a woman maybe hasn't had the experiences that she has had as a black woman growing up in the segregated South and like how defended she is in the world a lot of times that like I take for granted like I'll say things sometimes um you know from my my spiritual perspective of like mom we have two choices fear or love and she'll literally look at me like I have two heads (laughs) and like what just came out of your mouth like my child is straight insane and I'm like she just doesn't get me but also I have to hold it in the context of that has not been her lived experience you know it has not always been the choice between fear or love a lot of times it's been the choice between self-preservation and and literally death you know so thank you for speaking to that because I think like holding vulnerability in the context of what that has meant for people throughout the trajectory of their lives is also a really important thing when we tactfully attempt to communicate with people, right? And I think I forget that sometimes.
2: And it's it's all marginalized identities. So it can be, if you're a part of the queer community, Mm. being vulnerable is quite unsafe, right? So I think, or having a disability, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things that it, I I just think it warrants an under a deeper understanding of what that means. So the way that I I kind of perceive vulnerability is not that we do it just for the fuck of it, but that we recognize situations where I am actually safe, and it's in service of this relationship for mm. me to knock down some of my walls. So I oftentimes will say, speak your truth into ears that can hear you, not. All ears are capable of hearing you. Mm-hmm. So those might not be the ones to be vulnerable with because you might not be safe. Uh, and sometimes it's not even just physical harm, it's emotional abuse or harm too that can can arise. So I, I just think it warrants a little bit of a disclaimer because it's not about bearing your soul to just absolutely everybody. It's truly about, is this a relationship in which I want us to grow as a a unit. And if that answer is yes, or if it is, I am invested in this other person, then a level of vulnerability might be warranted. But if not, that might not
0: be the the skill to employ. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so helpful. Yeah, I love that. I just really love how you break that down so Mm -hmm. clearly.
1: And I, I do think too, like to kind of layer on top of that, I do think it's important sometimes, even if we know... Deep down, that those ears are not going to hear us. Depending on the relationship and depending on the history of the relationship, it might be something that we decide we're going to do anyway for our own sake. That's right. Right. But that's something that I think you yes. need to think through before going into it. Right. So if I were to use that same example, it's like I knew how I, I pretty much knew how that was going to go, but it was something I knew I needed to say. It was kind of something that was important in the trajectory of our relationship for me to finally stand up and be able to say, look, boundaries, you know, emotional um, harm. Here's what's been done. Like all of these things full well knowing how it was going to, you know, be be received, I suppose, but it was important. And I knew that going into the conversation.
2: Completely. And that's a brilliant distinction. I'm so glad you brought that up because your motivation, your come from is a completely different goal. Right. So in that situation, it is i need to i need you to understand where i've been at mm-hmm. or hear me even even if you don't understand even mm-hmm. if this severs our friendship so the goal or the motivation or the come from is not one of growing the relationship it's one of my voice being fucking heard right mm-hmm. and and so it's it's just a different uh, perspective. And I've been in that place too. And I think that can be a really incredibly powerful place for people Mm -hmm. because to that, that concept too, that you brought up so many people think Well, they're not going to change or Mm -hmm. I know exactly what they're going to say. What's the point? Yep. And so we say we have all these idioms like don't rock the boat, sweep it under the rug, open up a can of worms. And all of those are idioms to say, shut the fuck up and Mm -hmm. keep your voice silence Mm -hmm. Uh, and. And I can't think of anything more oppressive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't think that we need to go out and be combative and start all these fights. But one of the things that I operate under is this mantra of, do not allow my silence to make me a liar. So if I'm Mm -hmm. present with somebody else in my vicinity, and they say something that I find highly offensive, my silence makes me complicit. Right. It means like like you
1: believe what they're saying or you agree with it. And I
2: I do not want that on my conscience. Now, that also doesn't mean that I need to get into a big old argument about it. It can be as simple as I understand that you have a very specific perspective about that. I don't share that opinion. I'm going to politely excuse myself. So I had a a situation like this that happened for me many years ago when I was doing theater and there was a gentleman who came up to me and he wanted to show me a funny meme that was on his phone. And it was incredibly disparaging to a mentally and physically disabled child, which to me does not constitute hilarity or comedy. And so I had that moment, right? Where you could, you can kind of (laughs) go, And just walk away. And that's the easy path, but it's certainly not brave. Mm-hmm. And I also did not want it to ever be misconstrued that I thought that was acceptable. So I said, you know what? I actually don't find that funny. I'd appreciate it if you didn't share that stuff with me. See you out there. See you in the green room. Right. Like I don't need to have a big old conversation about it, but I'm sure as fuck not gonna let you think that I'm okay with that. Right. And And so I think that has been one of sort of the governing principles that helps me know, is this something that I need to be vocal about Mm -hmm. or not? And so there's all these different levels and nuance to speaking up for yourself, right? Depending on the relationship, what your goal is, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that is a motivation again from self of, I don't want to ever be
0: misconstrued as accepting of that sort of behavior. Mm. yeah I think that's so powerful I think that's even so powerful relationally too Mm -hmm. right like if our inner child is listening every time someone sort of says something that feels disparaging or some family member says something that they've always said that feels like it's like this cutting thing and we don't say anything even though it's deeply painful that child within us is sort of um, taking notes about like how we feel about ourselves and like that self-worth is diminished every time we just like allow it to ride and don't say anything, right? But yeah, I think that um so many, so many beautiful nuggets.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love that you brought up self-worth because this is one of the things that I hear all the time where people think that I'm teaching a skill of speaking up. Just for personal power, just for the fuck of it. And it's not, it's directly tethered to your self worth. Mm -hmm. So every time you shut your voice down you are sending a subconscious message to yourself saying your wants opinions and needs do not matter as much as that other person mm-hmm. and that's a message of self-worth compounded over how many times how many years no wonder you're scared to go after the your dream job mm-hmm. no wonder you don't think you're you're worthy of a happy relationship it's all tethered and yeah. and it also doesn't mean that that it's going to be smooth. Oh my gosh. It can be clunky as hell in the beginning. Uh, And you can have just really easy snippets of things that you can say, even when you're caught off guard, like, wow, that really caught me off guard. Or I'm not exactly sure what to say right now. I'd like to think about that a little bit more, but what I do know is I'm not in full agreement or that has really rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not sure I'm ready to get into it right now, but I just need to wrap my head around a little bit of what you said, right? You can also use humor if you tend to be a little more of a sass pants, uh, (laughs) where you can start off with something that's sort of a joke with this caveat. You absolutely must say afterwards, all joking aside though, or in all seriousness. So the way it might go Mm -hmm. is let's say, let's say, you're around somebody who says something asinine uh that's really misogynistic or something you might say oh did, i'm sorry did you not get the me too memo
0: <laughs>
2: and you know something kind of joke jokey jokey and then they'll probably get defensive oh what you can't take a joke right projecting and mm-hmm. being dismissive and then you can <laughs> then say hey hey serious in all seriousness though, that is pretty offensive and mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. whether or not you agree with me or not, not really my concern. I'm going to politely excuse myself. So Mm -hmm. and it, again, depends on the level of the relationship, but that can be, especially if you have a difficult time saying anything at all, but please, please, please practice the addendum of all joking aside in all seriousness, though,
0: that doesn't land the best for me. How you do such Mm -hmm. an amazing job of like dialoguing and like, practi- like I mm-hmm. think that's so helpful if Practical. it's never been modeled, like, how do I have that conversation though? Like, I have no idea how to say it in a way that doesn't feel combative or that I don't feel like I'm flooded with the emotions that come up. So thank you.
1: Or I'm not going to talk myself out of it, which is like a massive thing <laughs> for codependence, which is like, I'm going to set the boundary and then I'm going to somehow talk around the boundary and like, is the boundary okay? And like, maybe I shouldn't set the boundary until mm. 20 minutes in the conversation, you've basically talked yourself out of the boundary that you came in to, to set to begin with, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. One of the best tools in those
1: situations,
2: if 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 anybody out there is identifying what Vanessa just said, is to go slow,
1: take mm. breaths, mm. just shut up for a second. Yes. Clear, kind, concise. Those are the only things that you're responsible for in your communication. Everything else is out in the ether. Like, mm. give it to God. You have no control over it. It's going to be this other person. It's right. It's clear, kind, concise. It's the breathe. most important thing. Yeah.
2: Just breathe. Yeah. Stop for a second. Stop. Because whenever we feel threatened, we feel like we need to retaliate. Mm-hmm. We need to be defensive. We need to, well, well, this, you know, mm-hmm. or well, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If you, Explain. if you need time to wrap your head around what somebody just said, stop the conversation and say that, mm-hmm. like, you know what, that, ooh, that was really tough to hear, or that was not what I was expecting. I'm going to need a minute. Mm-hmm. Like advocate for yourself especially if you get flooded if you get emotionally flooded mm-hmm. we're we're uh immediately into fight flight freeze mm-hmm. fawn you know if if we're in that flooded place because we're like how the fuck do i take care of myself right now so just that can be a, such a fierce act of self-care mm-hmm. of oh here's my signals are going off okay and, and to have go, go-to phrases so you can listen back to this episode and have, okay, if I'm caught off guard with the conversation, here's what I'm going to say. If I'm highly offended about something, here's what I'm going to say. And y- y'all, it's like being in a damn show or a play. Yep. Write it out Memorize and rehearse it. it. Rehearse.
0: Totally. gonna fall. I mean, I feel like I could listen to you and talk to you forever, but, um, I know we wanted to ask you about hypnotherapy a little bit. Oh, okay.
1: Like, how does that play in, you know, to what you do with your clients? Like, I guess, where did you first get the, I don't know, the interest in it? Like, just tell us about your, your story with the hypnotherapy stuff. Sure. I had been working in
2: personal development for about a decade, and I was really curious about what would create lasting change, uh, in a more effective and rapid way, mm. and so I started looking into the concepts of subconscious, unconscious, conscious faculty of the mind, and that's when I started learning about how hypnosis works. Essentially, we have our the conscious part of our mind is depends who you you talk to, but it's theoretically about five to ten percent of the mind power, and that holds our logic, our reason, our rationale, our you know willpower, which is like. No wonder we, we can't muscle through with that five to 10%. But the subconscious part of the mind is, you know, roughly 90 to 95%. Mm-hmm. And the subconscious is what holds our beliefs, our habits, our values. And then there's a little guard dog that's right in between those two, which is called the critical factor of the mind, also known as the inner critic, uh, the saboteur, sometimes even the ego. And so if you're in the conscious mind, let's say, and I hear this all the time, you may hear it as well. Oh, I know, I know that shouldn't bother me. Mm -hmm. I know I should just let that go. Or I, I understand that I should believe that I'm enough, but I just don't, I just Mm -hmm. don't believe that. So the way that this works is we receive messages throughout our lives. We experience different things largely before the age of eight, before the critical factor is developed. And we make associations, positive and negative associations. So if you learned that the way to stay safe as a child was to hide out or to people please or Mm -hmm. placate, you develop a positive association with that. So the subconscious goes, here's how we stay safe. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're talking about 90% of the mind power, it doesn't matter how many fucking podcasts you listen to or how much it's still hanging out in that 5%. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the ways that we can break through that critical factor, because this is often what happens is we start telling ourselves, oh, no, I believe that I'm enough. No, my voice matters. I'm allowed to speak up. But the critical factor is that little guard dog that goes, fuck, no, you can't. Because it's trying to keep it synergistic Mm -hmm. with the belief of safety that's hanging out in the sub. Mm -hmm. So it's like, no, no, barking and going crazy. But there's ways to actually permeate that critical factor and essentially put that guard dog to sleep. Mm -hmm. One of the ways is through hypnosis. Another way is through repetition. Mm -hmm. So that's why we talk about mantras and and self-talk and meditation and things like that in repeat. Because what eventually happens is that little guard dog goes, Fine. I guess, I guess you mean business and it will allow it to drop into the subconscious. But obviously that can take a significantly longer period of time. But what happens in the hypnotic modality is the, that guard dog just goes to sleep. So you can feed suggestions into the subconscious much, much faster. So, uh, so that it can, become a new belief and then it's congruent with what you know and then what you believe Uh, but really all that it is uh, is a slowing down of your brainwave state Mm -hmm. that's it I mean that really is it so at least when I learned hypnosis they talked about any any sort of modality that helps you shift your beliefs is a hypnotic modality so that can be religion that could be praying is a form of hypnosis. If you've ever had that experience where you've driven to your destination and you get where you're going and you're like, holy shit, I don't remember the last 20 minutes of driving. <laughs> how, how did I get here? You were in a theta brainwave state. You were in a state of hypnosis. Your subconscious completely knows because the wheel. Mm-hmm. It knows how to drive. It knows these roads. It knows all of that but your conscious mind is thinking about god i can't believe that person said that to me and oh what am i going to do about work and blah blah mm-hmm. so it's it's a natural state that we all pass through in the very as we awaken and also as we go to sleep but it's not uncommon to fall into hypnosis even when you're watching a movie when you feel transported so all it is is a slowing down of brainwave state so that you can permeate that that critical factor that's going no like for example when you're watching a movie you don't go unless it's really shitty acting and poor, <laughs> poor production value, but you don't, you suspend belief. You don't go, uh, that's not a real car or that's not a real I
0: city. I do. <laughs>
2: right. I mean, if you're in LA, it's a little, <laughs> a little that bit of a That's
1: just so me
0: though. <laughs> unless you're in a relationship with an actor and then maybe they'll ruin it for you. But yes, carry on.
2: <laughs> True. But I'm talking about when yeah. you actually do suspend belief. Totally. Mm-hmm. The critical factor is asleep a little bit. It allows mm-hmm. you to get lost. It's when you get lost in a book mm-hmm. where there's not so much kickback from that that critical piece. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we use that all the time. I do a, a specific signature program that has hypnosis kind of peppered throughout, and then we do some one-on-one as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, that's how it shows I up. I've hitting you up for
0: something. I bit. mean, we're <laughs> really like, okay, so how do we get in touch with you for that, Amy? <laughs> yes. um, All right. Well, I want us to have time. We do a lightning round of questions. I want to make sure we have time for all of our questions. So um, the first question is who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, people, whether you've known them or not, that have really influenced your path?
2: Wow. I I mean, I have to say Brene for Mm -hmm. sure. I think she has brought so much to the vernacular that that wasn't there Mm -hmm. prior. Who else would I say? trying to think of I you know let's just let's stop there let's go with Brene nothing wrong with that we always in the sense with
0: Brene Brown that's our right. lady Brene our,
1: our lady Brene,
0: Brene. worship at the altar of Brene exactly right.
1: um okay so the next question is what are you doing or what do you find yourself doing when you're in a state of flow so what is that thing that you do where you know you blink your eyes eyes in five hours could have gone by
2: who gosh a couple of things <laughs> Uh super not sexy, but so fun is shopping. <laughs> <laughs> it. I will just get lost in that. Um, I'm also such a nerd about creating things. Mm-hmm. So if it is a Halloween costume or my website, or I just finished a really, really killer cross stitch of RBG, <laughs> I can just get uh, sucked yeah. into that.
0: Love Love it. It. Sure. it. Um, and what breaks your heart, Amy?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, my first thought was inequity. Um, it, it, I've been thinking about this a lot with the conversations around billionaires going to the moon and mm. the ability to end so much suffering instead of just flying off to the moon. And when I think just human suffering, period, it just kills me. But in a, in a little bit of a nuanced perspective, as it relates to my work is, is women believing that they're not enough. You know, Mm -hmm. it's such a system of oppression, no matter what identity we're talking about, the way that Identities stay oppressed is by the oppressor convincing them that they're not enough. I feel like it's a fierce act of resistance to believe in your own intrinsic value and worth.
1: Amen. That's right. <laughs> okay. And the final one is a very deep question. Um, what is your favorite food? <gasps> the first thing I thought it was cheese. Cheese. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> uh,
2: but my God, I love ice cream too. So I'm a huge Ben and Jerry's person, um, but yeah, give me some, some white extra sharp cheddar, and I'm happy
1: all damn day. All right, all right. Are you an East Coaster or West Coaster? I was born and raised in Southern California, but I now live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. 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 Because I was going to say, I'm thinking like Cabot all the way. That's like some East Coast love for some Cabot cheese. I was just going to see, you know, where you landed on that. No, I'll have
2: to check it out. One of my dear friends lives in Wisconsin. And so she's always like, come out for the cheese festival. It's like nothing you've ever seen.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. I might have
1: to get your friend's information. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: Well, Amy, I just have to say, I am obsessed with you. I am so excited to meet you and thank you for coming on the show and just giving us so many tangible tools. I really appreciate you being here and sharing with us because I think so much of what you spoke to is just, um, alive for so many of us, the struggles that we all face. And I really think you offer really tangible ways to jump in and start to tackle and stand in our worth and, you know, break some of those patterns. So thank you for that. Um, where can people find you if they want to do their own deep dive and um yes. and learn more about your work?
2: So my corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And I'm under that handle, the Joy Junkie, on pretty much all major platforms. I'm a stalker on TikTok, so you won't find any videos. I, just <laughs> Same. Creep. I creep like a middle aged nightmare. Oh my
0: gosh. Um, one day I will understand how to do TikTok. I'm so old. I'm like, I don't oh. want to.
2: I don't want to. <laughs> don't it's don't just understand. entertainment. It's so addicting. It's so addicting. But I hang out the most on Insta as far as uh, responding and connecting mm-hmm. with people. And if you go over to my site on thejoyjunkie.com, there's tons of freebies. I've been doing my own podcast for over eight years mm. and I've got a free hypnosis track and ebook and a bunch of other stuff over there. So awesome. I would be honored to have you check it out.
0: Yay. Well, we absolutely will. Thank you. So ah, much thank you so much for being us. here. I really appreciate it. It was
1: really fun. Oh, I had a blast ladies. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett. And at Danae logan Sulkin.